This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, friend, and welcome to Catch Up with Louise Makshari. This is the podcast where if you haven't been paying attention, it's absolutely no problem. I'm going to do my best over the course of the next hour with a team of crack detectives, no, contributors, uh, to catch you up on the news and what's been going on in the world of entertainment and inform you about something else as well. Um, I hope you had a good week. My birthday is over. You'll be happy to hear because I'd say you are sick of me banging on about it, but it's over. I did have an absolutely gorgeous weekend of celebrations, though. Just got like 35 of my favorite people in one place for the weekend. And it was a dream. You know, I think as you get older, it's harder and harder to do those kind of things. People have kids, people have lives, people move away to other countries. So I felt very hashtag blessed. Um, I will say. This week has been quite rough. <laughs> I am back to life properly today. I had a big photo shoot today. Um, I'm really excited to show you the photos. Hopefully I'll be able to do that in a few weeks. But let's get stuck in. We've got lots to talk about. Um, Aoife and I recorded in a somewhat unusual place. She was on Zoom and I was in a parking space blocked in by a milk truck. So please disregard any sounds that might sound like I was in a parking space blocked in by a milk truck. This is Aoife Moore, political correspondent at the Sunday Times Ireland. In typical form, I realized I didn't have any batteries for my recorder and I went to the shop to get batteries and a milk truck is parked behind me. So um, (laughs) I'm stuck here. So we're recording. I've hit record. We're recording in a car. I'm in a car. And if you hear the sound of a truck, that's the milk truck (laughs) that's parked behind me. (laughs) So anyway, we might as well get stuck in, my friend. Um, We have a lot to talk about and I suppose we should start last week. Um, we were well aware of the fact that everything we were discussing with regard to Liz Truss and the UK government was going to be probably mm-hmm. irrelevant by the time the podcast was actually released. And of course, Liz Truss resigned a few hours later. And now, a week later, we have a new British Prime Minister. It's so very typical, isn't it? Yes, so we're very out of date. But the new Prime Minister, this the, the flavour of the month is Rishi Sunak. He is the youngest ever PM the richest ever PM, the first PM who worked at Goldman Sachs Bank and the first person of colour to hold the job as well. He didn't um, contest, he contested the leadership election but never actually got elected because at the last minute his only rival Penny Mordaunt pulled out. Mm-hmm. So he was the only person left in the race and got a love democracy he became the Prime Minister. He picked his new cabinet, um, which severely disappointed people. I think people thought when they got rid of Liz Truss, he was such an ideologue that he would pick a cabinet that maybe was a bit more, not in any way progressive, but <clears throat> sensible. Yeah. Um, so he has kept <clears throat> the Chancellor picked by Liz Truss, Jeremy Hunt, which most people are kind of all right with. Mm. Um, and Dominic Rabb, do you remember him? Oh yeah, 
Oh yeah, yeah who could forget him? Back. He is now the deputy prime minister, but the rest of her cabinet is a complete shambles. So Suella Braverman, who dreamt, who dreamt of sending people to Rwanda, mm-hmm. she's back as home secretary. So those Rwanda flights are very much back on the table. She has, or he sorry, he has um, inserted this for people in the north will be very well at this. Johnny Mercer as back into his old job as Minister for Veteran Affairs. If anyone remembers Johnny Mercer, he stood shoulder to shoulder with a former soldier who shot a man with special needs in the back while serving in Northern Ireland and hailed him as a hero. And he is very much against any prosecutions for soldiers who have served in Afghanistan and Northern Ireland. And I think the most depressing person that he has put into a job is Kemi Badnock. Kemi Badnock is a very young woman of colour who is incredibly right-wing. She's incredibly anti-trans. She has made fun of trans people. She uses outdated language to describe trans people. Um, At her own leadership campaign, she said that she was going to ban gender-neutral toilets. Mm. Honestly, like, incredibly... um, depressing and then in his first leader's questions Rishi Sunak said that he's going to bring back fracking but we also didn't even mention that what Kemi the position that Kemi has been appointed to is minister for women and equalities equalities that's the position international trade secretary she's an international trade secretary and the minister for um women and equalities and she does she calls trans woman men she doesn't she voted against same-sex marriage in northern ireland or she abstained didn't she yeah it's oh it's very bad um it's not great no and and you know this is not an abstract thing this is a thing that potentially you know will have a very real impact on lots of people's lives and it's exactly the direction i suppose that people have been afraid that the uk was going in because of the and i use air quotes debate around trans rights um it's not a debate in my opinion um i don't think you can debate human rights but it is um really and truly troubling um and as we're talking right now it is incredibly likely i am about to bet my entire life that they will be calling uh, a new election for stormont tomorrow mm. they're recalling stormont today if it doesn't go well they'll call an election tomorrow and the installment election will be the same day that Leo Varadkar and Micheál Martin rotate oh as Taoiseach and Tanisha and the European Parliament Summit is on the same day. So I'm going to have to be in like three places at once. It's like buses, Aoife. <laughs> you wait for ages and then they all come at once. I do okay. have a boss. Well, none of that is particularly good, I don't think. Um, although, how an election for Stormont is that? You know, is that something that the people want? No, no. It costs five million pounds, and there's a cost of love and crisis, and it's going to return probably the exactly the same cast of characters. Okay. And do this, and won't have changed anything. Okay, got it. Okay, well, let's move on to some better news because this is something that lots of us have been waiting for, watching, campaigning for, signing uh, petitions for. It's looking like, really for real, actually for real, nightclubs are going to be allowed to stay open until 6am under new proposals yes so this was announced this week by Leo Varadkar as you know huge fan <laughs> of nightclubs um, nightclubs will be able to stay up open till 6am in the morning we have rewritten not we but the government has rewritten our licensing laws which have been in place for around like 100 200 years so pubs will be able to serve until half 12 and nightclubs will be open till six in the morning and they can serve alcohol until five in the morning. Mm. Hale McAtee's been working on this for a really good while, but I would say this has definitely been a grassroots um, campaign. Sure, Big yeah. shout out to uh, yeah. Arkit, the DJ, and Sunil Sharp from Give Us the Night, who have been campaigning, have been meeting ministers, have been doing all the groundwork to try and turn... Dublin and all our Irish cities into proper European cities with nightlife. There are only a hundred nightclubs left in Ireland. So we need to protect them. And the hope is that it will now be more worthwhile to open a nightclub Mm. because the licensing laws have changed. Mm. Um, And it's assumed obviously the 6am license will be available by bigger nightclubs, Mm. but um, they can do that seven days a week 
if they wish mm. um but they have to stay closed on christmas day which i think is totally fine yeah i mean i didn't know the statistic that 20 years ago we had over 500 nightclubs in ireland and mm. now we have some estimates are saying we have only 80 like it's yeah it's so yeah, grim i mean even i saw someone <laughs> tweeting last night about galway when i lived in galway um God, how old am I? What, like 13 years ago? There were, you know, several places to go. I think there's maybe one now. Like, it is so grim. We know what's happened in Dublin. It's just hotel after hotel mm-hmm. after hotel. I'm really excited. I hope this is going to reinvigorate really the cities. Well. I think it's great. Yeah. Um, and yes, absolute congratulations to the Give Us the Night campaign who worked so hard. Also, uh, just a little side note, um, we are allowed to uh, continue to drink and eat outdoors, um, which is great. Yeah, the law that was brought in in COVID that permits outdoor drinking has been extended for a further six months. So we know what happened with Parliament Street in Dublin. It's now being pedestrianised so people can sit and drink outside. Um, <clears throat> and the hope is it'll be done for more places. But yeah, so drinking outside in the summer on the street still allowed for the next six months and I think they'll just probably end up keeping it permanent yeah I mean it just makes sense like it's been so nice to be able to sit outside and have a drink and you know the sky hasn't fallen in so I don't see why not Um, now I just would like to say that when we send each other stories for um, this uh, this slot Usually I just put what the story is, but I, I did a little I did a little pun, didn't I, Eva? You did <laughs> For a this song. One. I said I don't dance now. Song. I make money meals. <laughs> because next we are going to talk about money meals, which I have to say is not something I even thought about or knew existed as a phrase until yesterday. Yeah, it's really depressing actually. So more and more young people are being used as money meals. Um in the cost of living crisis. So what happens is criminal gangs um contact people usually through social media and ask them can i transfer you some money into your bank and then you take the money out of your bank so it's kind of laundered through your bank account Mm -hmm. so the latest banking data shows that the number of accounts in the republic linked to money meals doubled in the first six months of the year to over three thousand, and over 12 million euros from fraud was deposited so basically they say can you take this out of your bank and i'll give you I don't know, 200, 300 quid. Um, they said most of the people who've done it are between 18 and 24, which makes sense because that's probably the you know people who'd be on social media mm. and are more likely to do this. Mm. Um, the youngest person they found who had done it was 15. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's usually from online call-based and text-based scams. Mm. And the average transaction conducted by a meal in the first half of this year was around 4,000 euro um they think that more and more people are doing it just because of like it's more expensive to be alive at the minute mm. um but the guards have warned against this because these are not gangs that you want to get involved in and mm. if you say yes the first time um they could blackmail you then and then you're in you're basically part of a criminal gang you're part of a criminal enterprise and you're risking your future as well as everything else yeah um, well they're obviously so, targeting people who are at an age as well where money is not exactly flush and you exactly. know people who maybe don't have as mature a kind of line of thinking don't put two and two together and realize you know who the the kind of people that this stuff is impacting yeah absolutely because what you're talking about is you know say all of these various tech scams and phone scams that are going around and have been going around over the last couple of years and it's often very other very vulnerable people who were targeted there so the only people who are winning are the gangs um and i think it's it's grim grim af and then we're going to finish on some more good news good news for germany um and i suppose the more european countries that do this the more likely it is that we'll see it happen here Germany is to legalise cannabis for personal use. Yeah, Germany set out plans on Wednesday um, and it would make them one of the first countries in Europe to do so. So their health minister, Karl Lauterbach, well Beautiful. presented, <laughs> presented <laughs> this paper on plan le- of plan legislation in which it would regulate the control, distribution and consumption of cannabis for recreational purposes. That was a mindful. Mm. Um, you will be allowed to possess 20 to 30 grams of recreational cannabis and personal consumption will also be made legal. Um, they will be sold in cannabis licensed shops. Um, it's not sure when this is going to happen. There's no timeline for it, but um, 
in Germany, we're one of the first countries, I believe, to bring in like medicinal cannabis, like yeah. in 2017. So I think it's always like a hop, skip and a jump on de- decriminalization then as well. Mm. Um, you could also self-cultivate so you can grow your own wheat, mm. um, but only to a limited extent. Like you can't be out here making farms. You yeah, know? you can have three plants. Um, and then all, what this is, I think, the most important thing, ongoing investigations and criminal proceedings connected to cases no longer illegal will be terminated yeah so these teenage usually teenagers teenagers who are caught with weed you're currently going through the criminal justice system that's going to be dropped yeah from now because that's one of the big things in the u.s isn't it um i know uh, joe joe biden recently came out and spoke about this that there are so many people in the u.s largely black people or Mm -hmm. people of color who are in prison for crimes that are no longer illegal. I mean, that's just wild. I know, it's totally insane. And it's like governments don't do anything unless there's a money message. And Mm. Germany found that legalizing cannabis could bring Germany an annual tax revenue and cost savings of about 4.7 billion euro. Yeah. And could create 27,000 new jobs. Well, the thing is, look, I mean, I'm not on the fence about this. I absolutely think that cannabis should be legalized. And actually, I think that most drugs should be legalized and that we should focus on harm reduction. Because the reality is, if you legalize a drug like cannabis, then it's less likely that someone's going to buy something dodgy that actually isn't really cannabis, that has something, you know, really dangerous in it. It means that you can regulate. It means that you can make money through tax that you can then use to fund addiction programs and harm reduction programs. Like, it just makes so much sense. I couldn't get over it. Like, in New York, um, when I... I Have I I mentioned I was oh in New God, York. Everybody smokes weed in New York. Yeah, well, I couldn't, like, where we were staying, I, Gordon and I were like, are we in the weed district? Because everywhere you went, like, there was a smell of weed, which I have to yeah. say is not something that I particularly enjoy because I actually, no, I'm not into it. But there were shops everywhere because it is legal in New York. There were, yeah. like, you know, we went to Brooklyn and there was a van pulled in on the side of the road that was like a mobile weed shop. So much so that my mommy was, like, walking down the street and she was like, Aoife, Everywhere smells like weed. And I was like, yeah, it's le- it's legal here. But everyone's just like smoking. And I, it wouldn't be for me. It's not my face. Yeah. But more fire to their elbow. Yeah. Well, like I just think, um, I think my point was that, you know, when you legalize something and you regulate it properly, it means that people can use it in an appropriate manner. So like, I mean, mm-hmm. we saw on a recent episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, Chris and Chloe go into a weed dispensary and they say, you know, I'd like something that would help me sleep or I'd like something that would help me with my hip pain. I'd like something that would be a little bit of crack. No, not crack. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like something that would be a bit of fun. Give me the giggles, you know, that kind of pure yeah, I remember, and wholesome I thing. I remember my ex-boyfriend telling a story about when he went to Amsterdam years ago and there was like this total hard-ass girl who worked in the weed dispensary who just had enough of tourists. And they were like, hi, we never really smoke weed. So could you give us something, you know, that's quite like light? And she just stared them with a total blank face and went, marble reds. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> She was in the wrong job, though. Like, come on. Funny enough. Um, okay, Aoife, I know you've got a busy day ahead of you. Thank you so much for being with me this morning. That's Aoife Moore, political correspondent for the Sunday Times Ireland. Thank you. My heart was broken this morning when I read the story of a young gay Armenian couple who posted photographs of themselves wearing wedding rings online before taking their own lives. It really brought home to me how important it is to remember that there are still lots and lots of LGBTQ plus people around the world who are forced to live their lives in fear and who probably feel that they will never be able to be who they are in safety. Um, Nimat Sadat is a novelist, humanitarian and executive director of Roshania LGBT. And last week, Nimat won Pink News' Campaigner of the Year 2022 for their activism around improving the lives of LGBTQ plus people in Afghanistan. Since the Taliban took over again, Nimat has worked hard to get as many members of their community to safety as possible. That work continues today and I was delighted to speak with them this week. I learned so much. Um, I really did. I will say the room was a little bit kind of hard surfacey and echoey, so the sound is not exactly immaculate, but I think it's still absolutely listenable. Um, and I hope you learn as much as I did. So first of all, Nimat, congrats on winning the Pink News 2022 Campaigner of the Year. Um, that must have been a big moment for you. 
Absolutely. I think it was an inflection point in my life because it's like I'm finally getting recognized for my decade-long campaign of, of promoting LGBT rights in Afghanistan and in the last year trying to evacuate the community because I realized that there's no point in fighting for equality when the Taliban are in control. It's basically <laughs> fighting, calling for protection for LGBT people at this point in Afghanistan will be like will be like serving uh, LGBT people on, on a silver platter. So for me... Um, you know, it's just the culmination of my activism, writing my first novel, which is about the representation of LGBT people in Afghanistan, and then my humanitarian work. It's kind of like, wow, I'm finally getting recognized, not just only to be, rec to be recognized in the nomination, but also winning the award. Uh, you know, I, I think it, it was, um, I, I think I'm, I'm confident that, that there's no longer an uphill battle I feel like my entire life I've been struggling with my own identity uh, as a gay Afghan man, as a refugee, as an immigrant in the United States, um, struggling to find my place in the world and then trying to help other people through the work that I do. And I feel like there are so many roadblocks, so many barriers. There's like a, a brick wall and I'm kind of I'm breaking through it. Amazing to hear that you're feeling that way. I'm I'm interested, I suppose, to go back to the beginning, um, because as you said, you were a gay Afghan man. Um, and I suppose, from what I've read, your journey with activism really began with your own coming out. Yes, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I returned to Afghanistan after 32 years in exile in 2012. And after I saw the repression of the LGBT community faced and that there was no movement, even though that the U.S. and NATO allies, international community was there for a decade and they were helping like women and ethnic minorities, no work had been done for the LGBT people. And I said that I saw that that's very unfair. And I said I found myself in a privileged position and I figured I need to do something to help these people. So what does that mean when you say no work had been done for LGBTQ plus people? Because obviously, yes, there was progress for other people, as you said. Mm -hmm. But what did life look like for LGBTQ plus people in Afghanistan at that time? When I went there in 2012, th the kind of contact I had was so limited. It was limited to like a lot of the gay men that I met uh, online. I asked them to meet so I can understand what their world was like. I met them in coffee shops. I met, invited them to Serena Hotel. And they told me that, you know what, it's limited to cruising. You know, we go to saunas or we call them hammams. You know, we meet men there. We meet men at gyms, um, at parks, you know, and malls. Some of the places where gay men will go for cruising anywhere. But but cruising is not an aspect of, it's only one s segment of LGBT culture. And limited to people who are closeted. It's not a lot of men who are out of the closet. Maybe they might go for the adventure, but they might, they don't necessarily need to go to that route. And also another thing as I found is like, uh, they're telling me like when during peak hours, uh, they would like on, on buses that they would like brush up against another man to get their attention or like, you know, touch their, you know, touch their crotch or do something and then pretend like nothing happened if they were homophobic or they're not they're straight. And then if they were interested, kind of give them an eye, eye signal and say, hey, look, let's go to the shop owner and see if we can rent a room for like an hour. And then they would rent a room and then they were part ways. And they said that at, at no given time would they exchange real names or phone numbers. That sounds um, dangerous. Like, I mean, aside from the fact, like, no judgment. Obviously, I totally believe in people's sexual freedom. But, like, you know, that sounds like a kind of dangerous way to live. Because what if you brush up against the wrong person? Yes. Well, the, the thing about Afghan culture, because we're very touchy-feely, kind of like okay. Irish people, is <laughs> you could kind it is you could kind of like you could you could walk that back mm. and you could just pretend like you didn't know and and the thing is about an afghan culture because people pretend their homosexuality doesn't exist and, 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 you know, even a lot of heterosexual men are sexually repressed. Mm -hmm. A lot of them, their first experience with women is with the women that their family forced them to marry. Mm -hmm. So somehow they are aroused even by another, you know, gay man coming on to them. So it's, it's, it's just that experience. So if something like that does happen... In, in, a, in an Afghan society, like here, or like in the Western world, like I know in the U.S., if you if you go come on to like a macho man, I mean, you you can get beaten up. Yeah. But in Afghan society, it doesn't work that way. Okay. Um, as a courtesy, they might actually either engage and and can and go with a sexual rendezvous, and, or they might just like just pretend like it doesn't did nothing happen. Right. Like you don't exist, and that comes with you know. 
they're not threatened or they weren't threatened. Why? Because why, why should they be threatened when LGBT people were criminalized and they have no say in society? And so in, you know, in a way, a lot of those straight men felt bad for those gay men. Right. So they're just kind of like, what's the point of bashing them? They're already like half dead. They're like zombies. Right. Okay. So then obviously things changed when the Taliban regained control of Afghanistan. Um, because, I mean, obviously that situation wasn't ideal, but things became much worse. Absolutely. And when I when I came out, so this is what I'm talking about, 2012, 2013. Mm. Between that time period to the Taliban, I mean, there was incredible headway that was that was made. I mean, you know, I published my, my book in India with, you know, the carpet weaver. It provided mm. a lot of oxygen for LGBT community inside. You know, they, they carved out an LGBT identity, like what yeah. it means. They saw, like, people in India, it opened to wide acclaim. They saw people, you know, me going on tour there and seeing Indians get excited about an LGBT Afghan novel. Yeah. It, it really helped them. It's like it found they found their place and their footing in the world. Well, if, I mean, as you describe, they were kind of invisible before or felt invisible, then exactly. you were being highly visible. So that offered a counterpoint. It offered a counterpoint. And actually, LGBT people, like transgenders, were becoming makeup artists for celebrities on famous uh, programs. Mm. They were helping to organize like concerts and fashion shows mm. and, 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 and doing all kinds of things that were like more in the public eye yeah, and the spotlight. So progress. In the progress. And then all of a sudden, and then also at events, you had a lot of transgenders who were talented in doing not only Afghan folk dance and, uh, you know, more modern kind of Afghan dance and also and from different cultures in the region, they would get invited to weddings and, and banquet halls and also other private events they would perform. And sometimes what I would hear is like, you know, the transgenders can make a thousand or two thousand dollars a night, wow. not just not just the booking, but also in gratuity that they would get. Because mm. they would have people, you know, th like shower, throw money at them, and they would like have somebody collect it and, and put it in a pocket and save for them. So mm. these are the kind of things that was, it was very extravagant. I mean, you know, a lot of money from the aid community was coming in, mm. and a lot of the people who, who benefited from that, it's like, oh, let's bring the LGBT people to come and entertain us. Okay. So that's kind of how it was, but that's only in the last couple of years, and right. then the Taliban comes, everyone's exposed, and they're like, oh my God, we need to get out. Because yeah. you know? they know who we are, our neighbors know, our families know, yeah. our society knows. We've become visible, which was a good thing, but now, obviously, that's highly dangerous. Exactly. And tell me about what kind of danger the LGBT community is in in Afghanistan if you're a visibly LGBTQ plus person. Yes, absolutely. I would say that the people on my list, more than a third of my list of 1,250 people have been tortured. Now, in one year time span, that's a lot of people to be it tortured. Is. It's disproportionately non-binary and transgender people. So it's right. the same experience that you see transgender playing all over the world. Mm -hmm. It's because a lot of the transgender people, um, what happens is they get kicked out of their families' homes. Right. They were already living by themselves or with other transgender people, so they become a target, right? Mm -hmm. And they had, like I told you, their work. Now it's like the only work for them is to do sex work. Right. And and that's not, it's extremely dangerous under yeah. the Taliban to get caught doing sex work. And what happens is I, I have transgender people, actually not only have transgender people, I have some gay males in this situation where... You have this man who's keeping them and saying, like, in a, in a slave, sex slave kind of situation, where it's not a sex slave by choice. It's mm -hmm. a sex slave situation because that's their only option. They're basically telling them, look, you just produce yourself, be, make yourself available for me anytime, anywhere during the day, during the night, and, and I'll provide you food and I'll keep you know, your cell phone on, but that's it. And, and if you don't comply, then I'm going to hand you over to the Taliban. And if you get handed over to the Taliban, it's torture and potentially death? Yes. Now, this is the thing about the Taliban. There's no, I don't want to sugarcoat it, there's no good Taliban, mm. but there's different state, there's different, there's different kinds of Taliban. There's one Taliban who's like, like you know, like Mullah Gul Rahim. It's like the only solution, it's for, for LGBT people, is toppling of walls or, you know, or stoning them to death. Um, then you also, and which takes places in rural areas, predominantly along the, I call, I call it like the Pashtun belt, along the Pakistani border, which is predominantly ethnic Pashtun, the same ethnicity of the, of the Taliban. Mm. And those areas, it's extremely conservative, it's rural, it's, LGBT people are quickly exposed, then they, they, they go that route. Yeah. But in a place like Kabul, where Mazar Sharif, 
and also Herat, where it's, a, it's way, way modern. And there's just numerically so many LGBT people. Yeah. You just cannot kill all these LGBT people without the international outcry. Yes. So what they're doing is over there, they are... Um, torturing them so that they torture them they take them to their torture chambers they take them to prison and in some cases there's rumors about a uh, in Baghlan about a gay concentration camp and and just taking them there and and then letting them just you know get tortured to death mm-hmm. or get tortured and then if their family or any loved one wants to pay a ransom pay a ransom pay, make bail then they'll do like an official court hearing to decide their fate or their future mm-hmm. and during that time when they're released if they don't have any evidence, and I mean, they, some of them, they want to show like, okay, we, we want to follow like Sharia law. So they're like, well, we don't have incriminating evidence. They, they search their phone. There's nobody to say that they, they look visibly LGBT. They talk like LGBT, but they say, you know what? We were born this way. Why are you coming after us? Mm-hmm. And so in those kind of situations, they let them go. And during that time, we try, we've been trying to get them, uh, you know, a passport or a visa to Iran or Pakistan so that at least they can run for the exits. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and then we tell them, look, I mean, there's just not enough resources. So, you know, before we were pro- helping to provide, uh, you know, safe houses and helping neighboring countries, but now that the money's dried up and drying up even further for other people who are trying to get LGBT, we can't provide that help. So that's kind of how it works. Then there's another group of uh, Taliban that they're basically saying, you know what? We, we want to get our international legitimacy. We want to be recognized by the international community. Mm. We don't, we want to get these degenerates, these LGBT people out of the country, just make your exodus right. and leave. Mm. And we don't care where you go, where you get your asylum. And then in exchange, we want to get, um, we want to get our recognition. So those, that's why there's kind of like, a, when it comes to LGBT issues, yeah. the, it is a polarizing issue, even within the Taliban. Yeah, yeah. They don't, none of them will accept the, the LGBT, yeah. but one of them is saying, I'd rather deal with the Taliban, who's saying, you know what, here, you take yeah. them and you deal with them. Okay, hand me over, hand me over the LGBT, I'll take them yeah. in my arms and we'll figure out a way, take them to Ireland, bring them to other Western countries. Because the ones that are going to be tortured, the ones that are going to be killed, it's, it's, we can't, I mean, obviously, we, of course we don't want that. Yeah. So I suppose that's one of the reasons that you're here, isn't it? Is that, you know, you would like Ireland to welcome more Afghan LGBTQ plus refugees. Yes, I mean, right now Afghans are living in a hellhole. Why wouldn't they come to paradise? <laughs> you know how to sell it. Um, what is the situation at the moment? Are we taking many? Well, I am, from what I understand, I, Ireland took... 27 LGBTQ people. It was one of the first, I believe, the first country in the world to t- quick move quickly to help 27 people. And if you look at the number of people by the population on a per capita basis, it's done phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and it's up there, I would say, you know, Ireland record on helping LGBT people. It's up there with Canada, mm. which has already taken hundreds of LGBT people, including from my list. Yeah. Um, and then also Germany has done a pretty good job too. But then we want to call in other countries. Like, you know, UK can do a lot more. Mm. You know, I think that UK should you know, they should be taking in hundreds of LGBTQ people. Mm. And it, I mean, right now, right, the UK alone can absorb all 1,000 people that are remaining on my list in Afghanistan. Can you just tell people a little bit about your list? What is, what is your list? That's a very good question. My list is basically a list of approved and vetted LGBTQI people. These are extremely at-risk people who either expose themselves and find themselves that need a passage out. Some of them have been tortured. Some of them ha- are human rights defenders, but all of them are LGBTQI. And there's 20 people that are not LGBTQI, but they were referred to partners as P- LGBT peer advocates. Right. And these are people who work for organizations where they were providing, um, you know, HIV and AIDS, um, you know, medicine, <clears throat> medicine yeah. and consultation and information, mm-hmm. which benefited like the LGBTQ people, or they worked for other NGOs that somehow had some programming for LGBT during right. the 20 years uh, of, uh, of democratic transition in Afghanistan. Right. So you're talking about a thousand people who are at highly at risk in Afghanistan mm-hmm. right now. And as you just said, somewhere like the United Kingdom could take them like that. I, I honestly believe a, a, a big country like United Kingdom, France, you know, Australia, you know, all those countries can take all 1,000 people without a blink of an eye. It's funny because I think <laughs> that we at the moment in the world mm-hmm. it f- 
sometimes can feel like a very bleak time and like there's mm -hmm. a lot of bad things happening and sometimes you can feel kind of powerless but when you have something like that that is such a tangible thing that can be done and mm -hmm. um, it feels just awful that it wouldn't happen overnight absolutely and, and the other thing is that you know, we don't. We're not saying we should place the burden on one country. Yeah. You know, it should be Ireland or our UK saying, you know, you take the rest of the LGBT people that are on this list. Yeah. Um, because you know, LGBT person is born every day. So the human rights campaign estimates that there's about 527,000 mm. LGBT people in Afghanistan. And actually, we believe that number is even higher than that. Yeah. So what we're saying is, okay. These are the extremely at-risk people. There might be a lot of bisexual people yeah. or men or women who are living a heterosexual life. Yeah. And while they may want to leave uh, you know, Afghanistan because they don't like living yeah. under the Taliban. They're relatively safe. They're relatively safe because yeah. they have a cover. Yes. But the people on my list do not have a cover. They find themselves... It, it's like every day I get messages from them like, please look at me, what's happening, we're dying, and this is what's that. Yeah. It's just... You could feel you could feel the horror. You can feel the the how much they're afraid of the, the every moment being in their life in Afghanistan, mm -hmm. and it's just like er, there every moment there's you don't know that the Taliban are going to storm into the house and mm -hmm. take them away. Yeah. So I feel that's that's what breaks my heart, and yeah. I think that like countries, for example, like Netherlands. I mean, it's the gay friendliest country in the world. That's how they present themselves, and in terms of the policy and the image they project, they haven't taken any LGBT people from Afghanistan. Yeah. So I think that the, really, if you look at Western countries, we need a country to be, take the global leadership and say, look, here's this list from Roshania, from um, you know, from this community of LGBT Afghan network, and say, look, we can. <clears throat> sustainably take this many people over this time period yeah. and then other countries can divide up that yeah, list. Yeah, let's figure this out. Let's figure this out yeah. and then create a pathway for LGBT people to be referred for the duration that the Taliban are in power, whether, yeah. whether that's two, five, ten years, or, because this problem is going to be an ongoing problem. Yeah. And I, what we believe is that, you know, asylum protection should be given to LGBT people in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. Some people might say, well, why privilege LGBT people in Afghanistan? Because there are, you know, 69 countries where LGBT people are criminalized to yeah. death. Well, this is this is goes back to a political situation. Um, you know, I've, LGBT community in Afghanistan has it the worst off. They're living in an open air concentration camp. If you're, let's say, if you're a Nigerian person that's living in the Muslim part of of Nigeria under uh, under Sharia law, mm. you can go to Lagos and live among the Christian majority yeah. and still find a way, an outlet. Yeah. Right. You can still find in other countries like an LGBT uh, center or an LGBT community, yeah. community. But in a place like Afghanistan, there is absolutely nothing. There is nowhere you can go to hide. There's nowhere you can go for a safe haven. Yeah. So that's why I believe that it's it's a moral imperative that we have yeah. to save this thing. Well, I think you've made your point beautifully and I've learned so much from you. And I so appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Congratulations once again on your award. That's Nimasada. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Pass. Now it's time to catch up on the news in the world of entertainment and celebrities this week. Taylor Swift has a new album. Maura Higgins has a new love interest. And hopefully this is the last time we'll ever talk about Kanye. Cassie Delaney, podcast host and founder of the Tall Tales Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to Catch Up with Louise McSharry. Thank you, Louise McSharry. Such a professional introduction. It is. It's <laughs> lovely. Um, we have got a lot to talk about in the world of entertainment. And I was just saying to you that I kind of hope this is one of the last times I talk about Kanye West on this podcast. I kind of, the last time I was like, I'm not talking about him again. But I actually think this is worth Touching this has to be yeah this has to be discussed so um this has been going on obviously for a really really long time it's been dominating sort of pop culture conversations since paris fashion week mm. when he wore the white lives matter t-shirt and put them on the models um things got progressively worse for Kanye, which they always do because he's the kind of person that just doubles down into yeah. his toxic beliefs and never acknowledges his his problems. So he tweeted a series of anti-Semitic comments, mm. um, which obviously were horrendous and abhorrent and nobody, no one can come to his defense. No one could come to his defense about a lot of the things he was doing. Except for literal Nazis and white supremacists. And that's it. It gained a lot of um, support from white supremacists and Nazis. So, you know, case in point. Um, So it got so bad in the last week and kind of since Paris Fashion Week that a lot of brands have been pulling their tiles, pulling their ties, pulling their deals with Kanye. And the most significant one this week, I suppose, is Adidas. So um, they're not tolerating his anti-Semitism or any other sort of hate speech. So Yeezy has obviously been in collaboration with Adidas for many, many years. It's kind of where people go to buy Kanye, Kanye's Yeezys. It's it's like the entry level to get, you you know, your Kanye merch. Extremely lucrative partnership. Like they are said to lose 217 million this year alone, given that we're in like, you know, Q4. Yeah. But October to lose that much money alone as a result of pulling this partnership is eye-watering. Yeah. Like, absolutely eye-watering. But it's something that they needed to do. Like, they just... There was no way that any brand... They did say after Paris Fashion Week that they were putting their kind of partnership with Yeezy... with Yeezys into review and then delighted to actually for them to pull it this week. I mean, there's a lot of people who say they took their time. You know, it, it could have been done a lot more quickly. And I think... You know, the reality is that Kanye went on a podcast and said, I can say as much anti-Semitic stuff as I want. And Adidas can't kind of pull our partnership. Like he he really put it up to them. And like loads of people, even like David Trimmer was like, what now, Adidas? Like, what are you going to do about this kind of thing? So um, it's been the most prominent one. But in the background, so many other brands have been pulling their partnerships. Like Madame Tussauds have pulled the Kanye wax wax work figure and put it into a holding space they're like we're not we listen to their I think their statement was really interesting say that each profile earns their place at Madame Tussauds and we listen to our guests and the public on who they expect to see so basically saying we will not have anyone um, that the public are not in favour of which Mm -hmm. is great Um, the High School Sports Association pulled Donda Academy which is the unaccredited Christian private school located in um, Simi Valley, California founded by Kanye so they have pulled the school from being able to play in basketball tournaments which is going to really impact who will register in the school and who will want to, to participate The Real Real which is a luxury consignment shop that has pulled all Kanye and Yeezy listings from its marketplace and public stores. Foot Locker said they won't stock Yeezys at all. Um, the only one that I think is pretty disappointing is Spotify said that they do not tolerate his statements and that his behaviour is awful, but they will not pull his music because his anti-Semitism doesn't happen in his music. It happens in his personal well, life. Well, I, I do think that that's where the challenge lies because it's the same conversation we've had about, say, 
Now, it's obviously, I'm not suggesting that these behaviors are in the same category, but say Michael Jackson or mm-hmm. Kelly, like, you know, can you separate the art from the artist? Gary Glitter, like, you know, this is yeah. a, 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 a conversation as old as time. And, yes. yeah. and I did play a Kanye song over the weekend at my birthday party. And I was like, guys, we're separating the art from the artist. And like, you know, I really wanted to listen to the song because I really love the song and it's yeah. attached to so many memories of mine. And like, for me, it's not even Kanye anymore. It's that's the difficult thing because music means so much to so many people that like you, you inhabit its meaning and you take it on and yeah. it reflects where you are in your life. But at the same time, as I'm saying it, I'm like, oh, you know, probably you shouldn't yeah. be playing a Kanye I song. Find it, I do find it difficult. It's no, when I was screaming. <laughs> We're separated the art from the artist. I think I was in singing um, sad Johnny Mitchell songs on karaoke at that point. <laughs> Um, so yeah it is it's really really challenging because like that just uh, people love his music and it means so much to them but I think as for me I've always come back to the argument that like as a queer person everything I produce is queer like even if I'm not talking about queerness it informs who I am and my sentiments on things and my beliefs and I believe that Kanye's toxic beliefs do inform the kind of the art that he puts out there into the world although it has been a it has been a steady slow decline um, the thing then- though about Kanye is I'm sorry now but you know when you think about Kanye on TV after Hurricane Katrina mm. and you know he went absolutely rogue on a live TV broadcast and started talking about the fact that George Bush didn't care about black people yeah. and he became kind of an iconic figure in the black community in a different way to what he in the way that he already had been you know I don't think the Kanye we have now is the same Kanye as we had then no absolutely not like I, I think, really don't I think that he has completely lost touch and, and I think I he's think been very influenced by his surroundings and different people yeah. in his network in his circles and his friendship with Donald Trump. Yeah. And I genuinely do not excuse anything he said on the basis that he is mentally ill. Like, I genuinely don't. I think that there are lots of people who are mentally ill who aren't anti-Semitic or just complete assholes. And I've said that before on this podcast and I've said it in lots of places. But... Trevor Noah was asked a question um, and I saw his response on TikTok where someone said, uh, what kind of what's your beef with Kanye? And he was like, well, first of all, it's not a, this isn't a hip hop, like, you know, back and yeah. forth. There's no beef. But he basically said, if someone tells us that they are, you know, mentally unwell and they're not taking their medication and then they start coming out with a load of stuff that's really offensive, like, why are we listening to them? Why are we platforming yeah. them? Like, we shouldn't be. And that, I think, is a pertinent question. Um, and I suppose that's part of why I said, you know, I, I hoped that we wouldn't talk about him again and why it's important that people are pulling, pulling things. Yeah. Like everyone, his, his management, his lawyers, Vogue, everyone, Instagram, Twitter, obviously, um, and MRC, which is a film and television, television studio, are shelving a completed documentary that had chronicled his life. Mm-hmm. And they said they cannot support content that amplifies his his platform yeah it is a very interesting um it's a very interesting thing i think because we can all look at kanye and see that he's very unwell yeah but when he is putting out stuff that is causing so much damage to other communities that's where it has to stop absolutely i couldn't agree more okay let's talk i cannot believe this every week at the moment there's like a really sad death we had angela lansbury then we had robbie coltrane and now we've got leslie jordan and so Shocking. So so unexpected. Because he was so vivacious. 67. So poor Leslie Jordan, who people will know from um, Will and Grace, Drag Race fans will know Leslie from being uh, parodied in in one of the greatest uh, snatch games of all time, but also from kind of dipping in and out as a judge. He was killed in a car crash in LA on Monday morning. Um, Only 67 it suspected that he was going through some sort of medical emergency at the time. Yeah. I assume that means maybe a heart attack yeah. or a stroke. Crashed the car and died on impact. The world, his publicist said the world is a darker place without him. And that's true because so many people fell, like re-fell in love with Leslie Jordan during lockdown when yeah. he took to TikTok and became just an, a little internet star. Just a vibrant, shining beacon. And yeah. 
such a such a sad loss and he was so gay 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 like so gay like he i saw him in an interview the other day saying that when he was in high school and like you know he would have been in high school 50 years ago so like you know it's not an insignificant amount of time when you think mm -hmm. about the progress that's been made in the way that gay people are accepted but like <laughs> so he used to take people aside and be like i need to tell you something and they'd be like what and he'd be like i'm gay and they'd be like yeah and what do you want to tell me <laughs> like there was never you know there was never a question of, of who Leslie Jordan was and and it, that was such a beautiful thing about him he was just himself all the time all the time so colorful so vibrant so uh, just so wonderful this was not the news I needed no, on Monday morning me neither Cassie me neither rest in peace Leslie you gave the world so much and if you're someone I have heard some people this week being like I don't know who this person is if you don't like honestly just like give him a little google watch a few videos you will immediately fall in love with him 100% his TikToks during lockdown were just Amazing. I remember people were sharing them in WhatsApp yeah. groups he was so entertaining just such a source of joy um so yeah a real real loss now I I, we don't normally talk that much about Love Island or The Only Way is Essex on this program, but I simply couldn't ignore the fact that there are rumours of a romance between Love Island's Maura. Maura Higgins. She's like our patron saint of Love Island. <laughs> but and, and The Only Way is Essex, Joey Essex. I know. What? what? Known thicko. Imagine. Sorry, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> not known for his intelligent conversation. No. He's made a career out of being thick. Like, I mean, he would admit that. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and like serial uh, celebrity dating program yes. participant. Yes. He's been on everything. Um, so there was the Pride of Britain Awards last week and they were seen flirting heavily. Mm. A source close, which I love. I was like, who is this source? This source is just a giddy person looking at being like, they were mad for each other. Yeah. They were absolutely mad for each or other. Or one of their publicists. Yeah, couldn't take their eyes off each other. Mm. And then apparently Maura, in front of everyone, pulls Joey in by the tie for a little smooch. Mm. And then they got into a taxi um, and went off together. Now, they were very quick to say there was no funny business. No funny business okay. because he had rehearsals the next morning for whatever reality TV <laughs> show. On ice. Dancing on ice. <laughs> whatever reality <laughs> thing he's on at the moment. Uh. Um, so yeah, absolutely gas. I just think Maura Higgins, we just love her. Like you can't but get behind Maura Higgins as an Irish person and adore her. So no, I will talk I about everything she's doing. genuinely feel she would eat him alive though. 100%. You know? 100%. I'd say their whole relationship is going to be him talking and then that scene from her in Love Island being like, what did you say there? Yeah. What did you say? What did you mean? <laughs> did, did you, you see, um, you know, the Niall Horan, Lewis Capaldi documentary that they made with oh, I Guinness? Haven't I haven't yet, watched I? it yet, but I've seen a good few clips on TikTok and there's a clip where Lewis Capaldi does an impression of Maura and it is bang on. Oh, like, he's very funny he's though. He's so funny, Cassie. Yeah. He'd laugh you into bed. I fancy him now. Really? Yeah. Not enough for me. Okay. No, personally. But I've exposed but nothing myself. Cassie, <laughs> I'm thrilled for you. And yeah. I look forward to attending your wedding. Yeah. Um, okay. And then finally, we couldn't let the week go by without acknowledging that Taylor Swift released a new album um, on Friday. Huge deal in Huge. the music world and the world in general. Uh, she's dishing out the album. She does get them out quickly. I didn't, I knew the Taylor was huge. Now she's massive. People adore her. But she broke uh, like every Spotify record with this new album. Very clever getting people all psyched up to listen to it at midnight. That's what she, she always does this. She's she a machine. Like, honestly, the way that she markets her music is truly incredible. Yeah. Like she gets the fans whipped up into a frenzy. She drops little clues. She gets them all absolutely gagging for it. So then they all exactly, the minute it's out, it's like, bam. They're straight on it. These, all these Easter eggs, the Easter eggs she has in the videos. She's like, it's like a treasure hunt of an album. Yeah. Um, so she released it. 88 million streams in the US, 185 million streams worldwide in one day. Isn't that insanity? It is. And yet the first thing I did when I got up and I had a very busy day that day because it was in fact my birthday, uh, was listen to it. And I had it on kind of for the whole weekend. So you're one of those 185 million streams. Yeah. And like, I'm not even sure do I like it. At first I thought I really did. And then the more I listen to it, the more I'm like, there's bits of it I really like. I like the way she says everyone's a sexy baby. That's very enjoyable. <laughs> I like the line where she says life is emotionally abusive, which okay, I agree with. Good, especially this week. <laughs> it is hard. Um, 
But I, I did see some people kind of criticizing and saying she did most of the album with Jack Antonoff, who I think the first album she worked with him on was 1989. Yeah. Now, I love Jack Antonoff. Like, he has produced some of my favorite music. And in fact, there's a playlist I listen to. It's not my playlist, so you can listen to it too, which I think is called the Jack Antonoff Cinematic Universe or something. And it's it's literally only music that he's produced because he's worked with, like, Lord and... Oh, brilliant. Um that's the only person I can think of right now yeah. but actually and Lana Del Rey he's done loads yeah. of Lana Del Rey he's very good and his own band Bleachers, Bleachers of course yeah. but some people were saying that the music is starting to sound a bit samey yeah well there is a, like there's a definitive formula for success now between Spotify and TikTok and what you produce and I think they're all they're all buying into it. we've talked about it umpteen times on this podcast yeah. specifically about everyone trying to create that perfect little hook mm. I, she, it is a little bit um, of a turn away from folklore and evermore in favour of kind of synth pop and thank sometimes God, even yeah I wasn't I, I, that wasn't I for don't want to hear about cardigans anymore I like pop Taylor yeah or yeah. or country Taylor yeah I'm Andy Taylor not so much for no me. this sad this sad this cardigan is under the bed thing I don't want to think about it <laughs> um so yeah but it's an interesting concept because she says it, it's all music that is from sleepless nights that she's had over the years I love the name I love the concept I'm a big fan of what she does but I have not listened to the album once <laughs> <laughs> like even when you sent me this I was like I should probably put it on I was I like love it. I just still just couldn't bring yourself to do it I just can't no, no it's just and you know what I learned this morning very interestingly is like your your cutoff point for Spotify wrapped I think is Monday at midnight mm. for so you've got like a couple of days left to be yeah. cool so I went back straight to my favorites it's like need to secure my spot in the top 1% of Spotify ABBA again ra- <laughs> Spotify wrapped is truly such a genius marketing move because Brilliant. I moved this year to Tidal because Tidal pay artists I think four times more than Spotify do for Very per good. stream um, so because I like to be on my high horse I swatched over swatched over yeah that's what I did um, but the minute people started talking about oh your Spotify wraps the deadline's coming blah 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 I was like oh, I better get back to Spotify because otherwise yeah. I want my Spotify wrapped won't reflect the year like you know so much of my Harry Styles listening is on title <laughs> um, it's a shame Every, everyone's just going to come with a little like I, I was on a lot of road trips this year with my niece I was like I don't listen to Frozen 2 on my own guys like it's not me oh Cassie my Spotify wrapped for the last like four years has been full of children's Demented. music yeah someday I'll be liberated someday they'll be old enough to have their own accounts. So. I just reshare mine from last year was ABBA and Pillow Queens. I've never been prouder. <laughs> Love it. Okay, my friend, thank you so much. That's Cassie Delaney. She is the founder of Tall Tales Podcast. You can hear her on The Creep Dive and Before Brunch and uh, so many other things. Yeah. And me saying PLC Bank is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Are you doing that correct too? A lot of that. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you. if you hear that, sometimes it's me. The there dream is to be the Tesco checkout lady. Someday. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Now it is just about time for me to go, but uh, thank you so much for listening. I don't have a lot of recommendations this week. This is where I normally do recommendations, but honestly, I just have not even engaged with culture at all. I'm so behind. I've been so busy that I I haven't even watched any of the new series of The Real Housewives of Potomac. I'm behind on my Bravo shows, which are just never allowed to happen. But look, we are where we are. I, I Hopefully I'll get caught up over the course of the next week. It's a very stressful time for me. I don't like to be behind. I can't listen to my podcasts. I can't engage with the online discourse. It's tough. But what I can recommend is Sheepwalk House in Wicklow which is where I had my birthday weekend. It's absolutely gorgeous. It is run by two lovely people, Jenny and Matt. And um, it's basically one big house and then there's four smaller houses or cottages in the grounds. And it is an amazing place to spend a weekend, whether you're having a party or, you know, a catch up or, you know, quiet, even if you wanted to be healthy for a weekend. What would that be like? (laughs) You could do that there. Um, no, there's nothing untoward going on here. I paid I paid for Sheepwalk House, but uh, I just really wanted to give them a shout out because it's such a gorgeous place. And then I also wanted to recommend a cake person. Again, I paid in full, but I had been coveting a cake from The Cake Mantle. They're at The Cake Mantle on Instagram, M-A-N-T-E-L-L, for literally years. Rebecca makes the most beautiful cakes. Like, they don't even look like cakes. They look like works of art. And I had wanted one for so long that I ordered it myself, like, lit- like about eight months ago because I wasn't taking any chances. And 
I didn't tell her what I wanted. I picked the, the type of cake because the cakes don't only look delicious, they taste delicious. But um, I said, you know, I love gold and bright colors and she had free reign and she did such an incredible job. I actually just realized I haven't posted a photograph. So I'll post a photograph on my Instagram tomorrow so you can see. But if you want a cake that doesn't look like every other cake that's being kind of churned out at the moment, cannot recommend enough. And as I say, totally delicious as well. Anyway, that is it for me. I am off to continue my recuperation and I hope I will be back in in full body and mind and spirit with you next week. I hope you have a good week in the meantime. If you can't have a good week, that's okay too. You know, sometimes you're just going through it. But one way or the other, I will be back with you next Friday. Thank you so much to ACAST for having me on the network and also to all my brilliant contributors. I will talk to you then. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.